guys. But on that note, we have a very special speaker. We have a ministry leader of another Celebrate Recovery that has come here to share his testimony, I believe Manteca, in Manteca at, at the Celebrate Recovery there. And so he's going to share his testimony today. And would you welcome up Jimmy? Thank you. I must look taller to you than I really am, but thanks. I appreciate the encouragement. I'm in denial about my shortness. Man, it's really great to be here. There's nothing like worshiping with a bunch of people who, who know full well what we're being delivered from and who we're giving glory to, and that was awesome. And I would just ask, can we give it up for that worship team one more time? That was phenomenal, powerful. Man, especially that line in that song, I know I got to hurry up, that line in that song, you turn bones into armies. And I was just thinking, I'm going to be coming up here and looking out over this crowd, and I don't see bones, I see armies. God turns us from our bones to armies, right? Praise God. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, he's done that for me. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with codependency, anger, and food addiction. My name is Jimmy. Hey, and again, thanks for letting me be here. Um, I was born into a, a dysfunctional family. I, I'm probably going to be at that class, right? Um, three, uh, the, the, at uh, three years old, my parents divorced, leaving the three of us kids to be raised by our mother. My dad remarried and went about living his life without us uh, while we lived our life with our mom, who she never remarried. Uh, this fueled the yearning in, in, uh, for my dad's attention and approval that stayed inside of me for a long time. Living with my mom was no easy task. She lived her life as an emotionally crippled woman. Her method of coping with and soothing the pain was to become addicted to prescription drugs. And looking back, I've been able to see how much those drugs were present in her life and in our lives pretty much all of the time. My mom was a broken woman. She blamed my dad. She blamed her mom and her dad. Uh, She blamed the world for her situation and her misery. And what I didn't see as a little boy, that she was teaching me how to blame others and how to be negative, how to be scared, and how to be angry. And at the time, I couldn't compute that the things she would say to me and my siblings, such as we ruined her life, and that if we weren't born, her life would be so much better, I didn't see how those things just settled in. And as a little boy, I believed what my mom said, both verbally and and with her actions. She said things verbally and non-verbally so much. My mom's outbursts of anger anger at me pushed me further and further down. Her blaming of others taught me that I'm responsible for my mom's pain, and therefore I am also responsible for other people's misery as well. I began to believe that if I wanted to be loved and good and noticed, I must be the one to fix others' pain and problems. No one ever asked me how I was doing. With my mother, it was all about her and what what was I doing to make her feel better. Thus, the seeds of my codependency were planted. When I was about the age of eight, we were, uh, I was born in New Jersey, and so at the age of eight, still living in New Jersey, my mom began a serious relationship with a man that she worked with. My mom, was, at the time, was a dispatcher for the police department in West Milford, New Jersey, and it just so happens this guy that she was dating, his name, is, his name was Noble, 
uh, believe it or not. He was a lieutenant in the very same department. And from the start, he was funny, and he was cool, and he was nice to my older siblings and me, and he seemed to make my mom happy. And, and then he ended up moving in with us. And for me, it was kind of cool to have a man in the house finally. You know, we actually did family-type things, like we went camping, we went to the drive-in, stuff like that. And I wanted a dad so badly that I tried to see him as that person. I remember one time we were camping in Virginia. I had made a friend with a kid from another campsite nearby. And we were coming back over to our campsite. And um, Noble was sitting at the picnic table. And I just instinctively introduced him to this other kid as my dad. I said, hey, this is my dad right here. And Noble quickly said, I'm not your dad. No way. And I remember just feeling embarrassed and hurt and shocked and, and uh, once again unworthy of being uh, wanted. And after Noble had been with us for about two years, all of a sudden he quit his job as a lieutenant in the police department and moved in with my uncle who lived across the state line in New York State. We lived very near to New York State. And something uh, my mom told us it had to do with child support, back child support that he didn't pay. So we'd go and visit him a lot, and during a visit uh, at my uncle's house, I saw Noble very drunk for the first time. I didn't remember seeing him drink so much before he moved in with my uncle, and I remember feeling nervous around him when he was like this. After several months of Noble living with my uncle, he and my mom decided that it would be good for us to move down to Stewart, Florida to start a new life. In actuality, uh, which I didn't quite pick up on at the time. We were just part of him running from his problems. As a fifth grader in Jersey, it seemed super cool that we would be moving to Stewart, Florida to be uh, near my grandparents in the same town. And once we moved there and got there and moved into our house, Noble's drinking escalated. Over the next several years, he became more and more unpredictable and volatile and oftentimes violent mainly towards my mom, but also towards us. There were nights I was awoken by the sounds of crashes and screaming coming from the kitchen, and I knew what was happening. And it wasn't the noise that woke me up. It was the pit in my stomach that pulled me out of my sleep. It is absolutely true. And I felt so helpless. The chaos in those moments, they burned deep into my heart because I couldn't control those situations. I was helpless to save my mom like I was supposed to, to stop the violence and to make all the pain go away. I felt like my mom's violent situation was somehow my responsibility to make stop. The pressure on me was so much more than I even realized at the time. I was marinating in a culture of chaos, fear, and misplaced responsibility. I just wanted to numb the pain, to escape, all at 11 years old. As a sixth grader, I had my first experience with alcohol. My sister and I went next door to uh, her friend's house. Her name was Ramona. And uh, just next door, we went when Ramona's parents weren't home, and we invaded her dad's liquor cabinet. At 11 years old, I got drunk for the first time. I could barely walk home, lying in my bed in the bedroom that I shared with my older brother. When I finally did make it home, I remember hoping that he would think I was so cool. About this time, I also had my first of many experiences smoking pot. Noble and my mom would smoke it in the bedroom, and when they weren't home, my sister and I would steal it from them and go smoke it. What a bad idea that was. Then one day, seemingly out of the clear blue sky, 
my mom decided to move us out and away from this man. So we packed up and moved out. One street over. <laughs> North River Point Drive to, you guess it, South River Point Drive. But to me, I didn't care. I was just glad to get away from Noble and the chaos. By this time, at about the age of 12, I was pretty sad. I'd already begun drinking and smoking pot uh, throughout middle school. I never felt uh, right because I didn't know who I was. I did all I could to fit in. High school was the same. I was always feeling awkward, not knowing who to be next. And that was really why I partied so much, to fit in. Life at home was still tough since by this time, my older brother had graduated high school and he immediately moved back to New Jersey to be near his friends and my father. Also at this time, my sister was getting into some, uh, a really bad crowd, so she was never home. So basically, it was my mom and I for several years in the same house and I was the only one left that she could unload on. And unload she did. She was still filled with anger and bitterness at the world, and she took it out all on me. The sense of me being responsible for her life and failing at that task was stronger than ever. I moved well in my role as a responsible one, the fix-it one, not just for her, but also for others as well. Living at home with my mom also was where my anger began to become unleashed. I wanted to escape. Uh, at, at such a young age, girls trying to be popular, uh, drinking, lust, being the chameleon, etc., were all my coping strategies. And then one day, my best friend John, who I had known throughout middle school and high school, and he had witnessed much of this stuff happening in my life, he began dating a girl named Shannon. Shannon was a Christian, and John was not. But seeing how she was also quite pretty, John didn't seem to mind her being a church girl. So long story short... John ended up getting saved, and then he began going to church with her, going to youth group with her, and he would tell me how cool it was, and he kept telling me that I need to get saved and go to church and go to youth group, that I need to become a Christian, and he just bugged me about it. So again, long story short, after much urging from John, at the age of 15, I gave my heart to Christ, I got involved in the youth group and the church, and I really have loved it ever since. But I wish I could say yes, praise God. I wish I could say that's where it ends and it all got better from that point on, but the truth, it did not. Because family life was still hard. My mom and I continued to fight horribly and I continued to live with a sense of deep responsibility for her situation and a deep yearning to escape, which was getting worse and worse and worse as the years went by. Even as a Christian, I struggled to find love and acceptance through high school. High school. I pretty much gave up the partying scene, but then I replaced that with one unhealthy relationship after another. I was still so needy. I was so insecure, so hungry for someone to love me, to just tell me that I was okay. God provided men in the church to help me grow in Christ, uh, and in a way that only, only God could do and would be able to explain. And in high school as a senior, I felt the call to the full-time ministry. Um, and so with that sense of calling on my life, I went to a, a small college called Palm Beach Atlantic College. And in my second year of college, I finally was able to get my wife, Tanya, who's here with us tonight, to date me. So that was no easy task. Uh, yeah. Uh, we dated and eventually we got married. And I wish I could say it all got better from there, but it didn't. 
Our marriage was wrought with problems from the start. From the beginning of our marriage and for years following, I transferred all my angst and anger that I had at my mom. I, I poured it onto Tanya. I had hoped that getting married would be the cure for my insecurities, but it was not. During our first tender years of marriage, I did some pretty hurtful things and I said many more. I had never learned to stand on my own two feet or deal with my own struggles before marriage, emotionally speaking, and going into a marriage like that made things very, very difficult. I now felt this continuing need to be responsible for her stuff in her life, just like I used to feel with my mom. Her happiness meant I was good. Her sadness meant I was bad. I was a confused mess. A few years into our marriage, I began working. This is where, this is where my sister, I, I stop every time right here because it's just so hard to go on from here because it's so bizarre that what I'm about to tell you actually happened. But a few years into our marriage, which was still a wreck, I began working on my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Yes, insert your own joke here, right? In Mississippi. And so, uh, I, I, get, I have chills right now. I got chicken skin just thinking how weird that is. While in grad school in Mississippi, um, I struggled even more. And, and it led to me going to see a counselor. And I was not super excited to go see a counselor because I was in training to be a counselor. So how does that work, right? And so uh, I was really kind of, my pride was strong. And on my very first visit, I, I actually went, my very first visit, I was laying out why I was there. I was kind of talking on and on. And my therapist stopped me literally by putting up his hand like a police officer in my face. It wasn't a very big room. And just put his hand up to just symbolize stop, just stop immediately, right? And he stopped me mid-sentence and he said to me, just five minutes into our session, this happened. He said, you are the most guarded person I've ever met. And I had just a ton of thoughts going through my mind in that second. Like, well, at least I'm good at something. That's one thing I thought, <laughs> right? And then I thought, no, I'm not. I'm not guarded. You're wrong, which is guarded. And, and so it, I just, uh, I didn't know what to do. So my denial kicked in and took over as usual and began to tell me that this guy's a nut and I never went back. And the poor guy, his, his goal was just to help me get in touch with the sadness I have in my heart and the anger I have towards my mom. He tried, but to no avail because again, I was a grad student in marriage and family therapy. At the time, I was also a part-time youth pastor, so there's that. I'm a minister. I know what I'm doing. I was so full of it, right? But I would tell myself I could handle it. I was hiding behind my credentials. So kids came shortly uh, thereafter, and having kids uh, didn't fix anything either, and it actually freaked me out more because my being a kid was pretty tough. They say pressure is what you feel when you're not prepared, and pressure is all I felt when kids came because I didn't know how to be a dad. I felt so inadequate. And that inadequacy about being a dad fueled my fear. And then my fear fueled my anger and rage. And so unfortunately, my kids felt the weight of my anger uh, way too often as well. So for the following several years, it seems that uh, it seemed I had found kind of a comfortable way to go on with life, halfway having dealt with my stuff, sort of, and then the other half being in, in a strong denial, kind of a survival existence, pretend it's not their mode. 
I served in several churches between the years of 96 and 2005. Throughout those years, my role was always worship and counseling pastor. Uh, because again, I was that guy with the degree, right? And so 2005 proved to be a very pivotal year in my life, in our family's life, marriage, everything. In 2005, which still amazes me, I was invited to join the staff of a really, really big church in Savannah called Savannah Christian Church, Savannah, Georgia, and they wanted me to help them launch a professional Christian counseling center. They were so big, they could have their own counseling center, and they, they invited me to come and do it. And so we opened the doors to Life Change Christian Counseling Center in March of 2006, and during that same year, I heard about a small group of people, about eight or nine men and women combined, sitting in this little group, in this little classroom, um, meeting weekly for recovery. And I heard that, uh, I knew the guy that was leading, his name is Ben, and he told me that they were using some Celebrate Recovery materials that they bought at a garage sale, amazingly. And then they were using other stuff too, Alpha Series, and they were just blending it all up, right, and doing that. And so something compelled me to ask if Ben was interested in turning this into a real Celebrate Recovery. I have no idea why because I knew nothing of recovery, but I felt compelled to do that. Ben said, yeah, that sounds good. We asked the leadership of the church if me and Ben could do this in the name of the counseling center. They said, yes, thumbs up, right? And so we did that. We went to um, a one day near Atlanta, and we came back really pumped, and we were ready to, we, we wanted to start Celebrate Recovery. And I was so excited to do this, this recovery ministry for those people over there that need this because no, I didn't need it, right? Right? Little did I know that God had some really special plans for me. Whew. In doing this. Praise God. So later that year, the same year we opened the doors to Life Change Christian Counseling Center, uh, that was in March and September of the same year, we launched Celebrate Recovery. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I swear, I didn't know what I was doing. God has such a sense of humor. Because again, my main motivation was, was just to hang out with people that aren't so churchy, you know, kind of like the salty people that, you know, say bad words and stuff like that, right? I was so cool, right? My thinking, I would, I would just run this ministry for those people, and God had other plans. I think I said all that. About the, about the six-month mark after we launched Celebrate Recovery, and it was going good. Celebrate Recovery went really good, man. Was, somehow we put together a great worship team, and it was just really exciting and stuff like that. But about six months in, I noticed something. I, I noticed something that was, that was touching me deep inside. I couldn't help but notice that people were changing, The secrets that they had held for so long were coming out, and they were coming clean. And I watched what that sense of clean meant to them. It just changed their whole life. It just changed their whole complexion, their whole countenance. It just changed everything. And I watched the power of those secrets that they once had holding them down. I watched the power shrivel up and die, and these people were gaining freedom and joy and peace and serenity like they have never had before, and I noticed that I didn't have that. I didn't know what to do. I knew what I needed to do, though, to get into a step study. 
But how am I going to do that? That's, at the time, I thought, how ridiculous is that? The ministry leader who's got to know everything, joining a step study in front of everybody, how could I admit that I didn't know what I was doing, that I had struggles, that I didn't have it all together like I pretended, that I, not, I might not be everything that everybody thinks I should be? What if people didn't like me after they saw who I truly was? I was so screwed up. I was so codependent. I wanted my freedom, though, more than I wanted those fears. So I decided to go through a step study to get a sponsor and to do it right. And there was something to this. That's right. There was something to this that I badly needed. But those fears didn't just go away either. The fear of how do I get free without looking like a bad leader? I was afraid I was going to get fired from the church. What I feared was, uh, was all these people closing in on me and all these bad things happening, right? But what happened is none of that, none of that materialized. God showed me that he was much bigger than my fears and it all worked out. As a matter of fact, the other guys in my step study thought it was the coolest thing ever that the ministry leader was going through his first step study. Like they, they enjoyed watching me go through my first inventory, right? I became like their little sponsor, their little brother. Uh, and uh, the leader of that step study, Todd, he became my sponsor. And I'm so excited to say he is my sponsor today, 15 years later, the same person from my first step study. Going through that step study was great until the inventory because remember I was the most guarded person that therapist had ever seen, but I had to keep going. Everything in me wanted to find a way around being totally honest with Todd, my fear of being exposed as a failure, being rejected, being abandoned, the fear of being honest was powerful, but I decided to go for it anyway. I wrote out my inventory, I scheduled a time for Todd and I to meet, and we met, and I read my inventory to Todd out loud, and when it was over, much to my surprise, Todd did not fall over dead. He didn't say, this is so good, he didn't say, how could you call yourself a Christian? How could you call yourself a pastor, a counselor, a worship leader? My biggest fears. Instead, Todd shared with me a bunch of encouraging thoughts. He gave me some great perspective on who I was, where I'd been, and where I'm going. And then he looked at me and he said, follow me. And we were meeting at a public park, and I followed him over to a nearby garbage can. He prayed with me. He took my inventory, got out a cigarette lighter. He set it on fire. And as it burned, I felt freedom come over me like never before. The symbolism was so powerful. Yes, the diminishing power of those secrets that held me down for so long with that visual of my old story going up in flames was awesome, awesome, awesome. Sharing my inventory allowed me to realize that my battle is not against my mom, against my dad, is not against her alcoholic boyfriend or anybody else. It's not against these outward behaviors called addictions to codependency, anger, or lust. It's against the defects of character, the learned behaviors that reside deep within me. Going through the step study and many other step studies has in so many ways set me free from what held me down for so long. I learned that my acting out originates from my defects of character. I don't blame my mom, I don't blame my dad or anyone else for my struggles today. 
After leaving Savannah Christian Church in 2010, I joined the staff at Impact Christian Church in Woodland Park, Colorado, where my role was to lead worship and launch Celebrate Recovery, which we did. So that was my second Celebrate Recovery. This proved to be a pivotal season of growth for me, and God had us stay in Colorado for four awesome years. It's still going strong. 2014, God moved us back to Stewart, Florida from Colorado, where I served on staff at the church I got saved in at 15 as a pastor of worship and community care. We launched Celebrate Recovery there too in February of 2014, and to this day it's still going strong. But, at, yes. But as things can go, in August of 2016, our Celebrate Recovery was going strong, worship was going strong. We were preparing to launch several new step studies, welcome more people to the leadership team. But out of the blue, two church elders met with me in my office to inform me on a Tuesday that the church leadership had decided that they wanted to go in another direction with Celebrate Recovery and Worship, and I was no longer on staff. No more information was given to me or uh, even to the church at large. They just wanted to go in another direction, um, uh, effective that day. And uh, thankfully, they honored my request to communicate when they do tell people what they're going to tell them, that there was not a moral failure because there wasn't. But this event rocked our world because it came out of nowhere. I thought everything was going great, and this happened. My kids were hurt from it because they had friends in the youth group. Some of the youth turned on my kids unfairly through this ordeal, making it harder as a small town. After this happened, I spent as much time with Todd, my sponsor, as I could, almost daily, and it helped tremendously. And over the years that uh, after that happened, I learned that my identity was still trying to be in my credentials as a pastor, as, as a Celebrate Recovery pastor, and God was shaking me clear of that, that my identity is not in my credentials. My identity is in the fact that I'm a child of God first and foremost, and that he, he's called me to do these other things, and he's, he's given me um, the, the gifts to do it. And I've been forgiven for so much, therefore I can, and I did extend forgiveness to that church for those who hurt my family and hurt me, realizing that I cannot control all the circumstances and I cannot, I cannot control what other people choose to do, but I just know that through it all, no matter what, this, this is unshakable, that I am a child of God and he will take care of me and my family. And he did, he did. Two years ago, we moved from Florida to California to join the staff at Crossroads and um, become the ministry leader, uh, pastor for Celebrate Recovery. And um, that two years in between leaving that one church and coming out here two and a half years was a time where God just did amazing work in all of our lives and just prepared us for this. And so I know that God is good. I know he's healed me from so much of my brokenness so far, but he's got a lot more to do. I will never arrive, but that's okay. But I believe he desires for us to be free and to live life reasonably happy for now so we can be supremely happy with him forever. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah 57, 18. Whew, I'm gonna get through this without crying, I promise. It's Isaiah 57, 18 and 19, which says, I have, and he's, he says this about me, and you guys too, but this is coming through me right this second. 
I have seen what they do, but I'll heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. May they have peace both near and far, for I will heal them all, says the Lord. Thanks for letting me share.